Good morning, everybody. Morning, everybody in this room, all those joining us online. If you've got a Bible near you, open it up to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We left off with Moses giving his first of three final sermons as he's at 120 years old. He's giving his final words to the new generation, and it was a kind of the first installment in Deuteronomy 6 that we called the Shema. And we said Shema is the Hebrew term for listen and hear. And it was really important to Moses, much like we were singing here, like a song like I Believe, it's like lyrically putting into place what the Shema, what he was trying to teach in Deuteronomy 6. Like it's really, really important what you think about God. A.W. Tozer says the most important thing about you is what you think about God. And like theology matters uh, because we're made in his image, he's not made in ours. So the better we understand who God is, the better we're going to understand who we are. So Moses says the first part of the Shema is, let's be real clear on who God is. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that was a big deal if they came from Egypt, where the Lord our God was many, very polytheistic. They were going to the land of Canaan, even more gods and goddesses. So they had to get clear on this reality, the human condition. The issue isn't that we don't worship anything. The issue with humanity is we worship everything. And so you got to get really clear on your theology, who you say God is. And the Shema helps ground us in that. So we talked about the nature of God. And then we said, based on who God is and all He's done, then we looked at the expectation God has for us as people in light of who He is. And we talked about what? The second part of the Shema was to love the Lord your God. With what? With all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. We talked about this reality that a relationship with God is an all-in kind of relationship. He's an all-in God, and He expects an all-in response in light of who He is. So half-heartedness and lukewarmness, they don't really belong in this relationship that God is trying to present. Moses is trying to tell this new generation, hey, don't go the half-hearted, casual route of your former generation, i.e., remember, we spent 40 years in the desert because of that. Let's be all-in and be all about this relationship, our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole mind, our whole strength. And he set the bar at all in. And remember we looked at Augustine's quote, God provide for what, or God demand whatever you wish. He demands all in and then provide for whatever you demand. And God provides a way for all the reality is he sets the bar at all in and he recognizes humans, you're not going to hit that bar. That's just part of what it means to be a human in a fallen world. We're not always going to hit that bar. So the whole sacrificial system, the atoning sacrifice that God sets up is what he wants us to look to, ultimately manifested in Jesus who becomes our once for all sacrifice. So he says, hey, this is an all-in deal. I know you're not always going to hit the mark. And when you don't hit the mark, look to my atoning sacrifice. And we looked at the different laws in the Old Testament, right? The ceremonial law, the civil law, and the moral law, and talked about the differences in all of that. So that was kind of Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, and setting before the first of his final three sermons, he says, let's get clear on the nature of God and the expectation of God, and then pick it up today with the application. So the setting for where this is carried out is where I want to pick it up today and look at verse 6 of Deuteronomy 6. It says this way, Moses says, These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. 
I want you to underline this word in first verse in verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Do you see that the Shema becomes the framework for parenting God's way? So the vision God has for being a parent is a Shema-based parent. And you get this picture, right? The first, the first application of it is like, hey, mom, dad, you can't pass on what you don't possess. Do you see the first command is make sure these are upon your heart. Like we've got to be all in as mom and dad. We've got to internalize this relationship. This can't just be something we kind of go through the motions and do that our whole heart, our whole soul, uh, we've got to be in on this relationship. We've got to know the commands, internalize the commands, do our best to live them out. Like that's a parent in God's eyes. And then the application then in the home front is first word of verse seven is impress them upon your children. The literal translation of that word is to teach diligently. What are you supposed to teach diligently? The Shema, all these commands of the Lord, all the things Moses has been talking about and teaching on. You live them out, and then you impress them on your children. So right here, you get a picture like the notion of passivity and parenting is not a big value with God. Like this picture that you say, well, let's just leave it up to the kids to kind of sort it out on their own. They'll kind of decide what their own views are. You know, we don't want to push certain views upon our kids. That's not a picture you get of God-centered parenting. It's too important. God says there's too much at stake. It matters too much just to kind of leave it up to them to figure it out on their own. That's not how this deal is supposed to work. And so the first application here is mom and dad, we've got to own the responsibility of kind of stepping up, internalizing, and living out a life of integrity to say, are we all in in this Shema relationship with God? And then from that place, we turn to our kids or to our grandkids. You don't really graduate from this, right, grandma and grandpa? This is an ongoing reality to your kids, to your grandkids that we teach diligently. We impress upon them. We hold the commands and ways of God and character of God before them. Now, students, kids in the room or listening online or watching later, application for you would be in this place. Some of you as children feel like your parents, so like your mom or your dad are being overly controlling, when in reality, they're called being a parent. All right, I'm going to say that again. All right, I, I say, I, I got one parent who's feeling this. Okay. So, our, so kids, students, I get it. Some of your, I get it. I agree with you, students. I agree with you on some of the fronts. Like, we're not perfect. We don't always get it right. Sometimes we're a little too helicoptering. We're a little too controlled. I get it in that way. But hang with me. On this area here, some of you are like really frustrated that at the dinner table, mom or dad wants to pull out the Bible and talk about God's ways or, or wants to pray or is always bringing up some spiritual conversation or mom or dad are encouraging you to stay plugged into youth group or mom or dad are saying, make sure we get to Ignite and get to missions trips and be a part of that life group. Students, that's not being overly controlling. That's called being a parent. And you ought to be grateful that your mom or your dad holds that up, imperfectly for sure, but we do our best to keep this Deuteronomy 6 reality before you, because it's that important. Like, 
students, in the midst of everything you're getting crammed down your throat to say, make sure you're on it academically, make sure you're on it athletically, make sure you're on it artistically, make sure you're on it relationally and socially, all these other things, God would probably say, yeah, those are all important, but they're not as important as this. We've got to get this one right, church, do you hear me? Of all the developmental issues in our kids' lives today, it's the spiritual and character foundation that's going to matter more than anything else. Get them a vision, right, of who God is and how he wants our lives to be lived with him. Give them that vision. Can you imagine, church, can you imagine how different our world would be if we just lived a sliver of this Deuteronomy 6 vision in our homes? And some of you do an outstanding job. I learn and grow from a ton of you. We've got a ton of Deuteronomy 6 families around here. But just ripple out to our culture. Just kind of, if you just look across the general landscape of North America, does it seem like Deuteronomy 6 is the common dialogue at the dinner table? I think decreasingly so. And we're the ones to hold the fort, and we're the ones to cast the vision for it, to live it out as parents, to impress it on our kids. It's too important to let them figure it out on their own. No, we say, God matters, Jesus matters, faith matters. Engage your mind, think it through, dig in here, I want to help you. It's too important. Don't just push them off and let them just go and decide whatever they want. No, that's not how this works. It's teaching diligently. It's impressing. That's why we prioritize around here so much time and energy and effort, right, for Kim and all the leaders downstairs in our children's ministry. So important what they're doing. Do you know in our kids' world, every three years they go Genesis to Revelation? Do you know that every three years? And some of you are like, man, I need to sign up for kids' ministry. <laughs> yeah, it's that important. Of course, age-appropriate ways, right? But I'm saying they get immersed. So that when they go off, I think this morning was the, fir or was the first Bible basics for our fourth and fifth graders that Kim and, and Brad are leading together, and they're helping prepare the kids who are graduating from Eagle Kids and heading off into student world. And what are we going to do? We're going to help ground them in a vision of who God is as revealed in His Word. It's that important to us. And mom, dad, we need your help in this. Like it's a, it's a partnership thing, right? We'll want to help train, equip, and resource you as parents, and then you help keep this a priority before the kids. So like today, if you're a parent of a fourth or fifth grader or whatever, I think that's the age group that they're targeting, like to make it a priority, it's a really important hour after church to have them in that setting, to have those kinds of discussions. Probably more important than the extra hour they'd spend doing that essay for tomorrow, whatever it is. Like, this is that important is what Moses would say. And so do you see the application from last week is that there's this vision of a Shema, the nature of God, theology, expectation of God, we're all in, knowing we don't always hit the mark, he provides the atoning sacrifice, and he says the context or the application of it is the home front. It's a parent to child, it's a grandparent to grandchild, it's the family unit. And one final word on this, I know some of you feel very single parent oriented at home. Some of you are actual single parents, some of you feel spiritually single parenting at home. Let me just encourage you, in the space that you have, in the way that you can, you just engage where you can and God will help. And this is what the spiritual community is all about. You let the spiritual community, the broader body of Christ help fill in the gaps. That's why it's so important to have our kids regularly connecting in these relational contexts because they're going to build a relationship with an adult or two or three that'll help fill in those gaps, single mom or single dad that way. 
And if you're parenting spiritually at home that way, just stay at it, stay faithful in the space and the way that you can. God will honor it, He'll bless it, He'll multiply it, and by His grace, we'll see a generation grow up that our world desperately needs right now, a generation that's going to lead and rule in righteousness, to say, I'm going to do it God's way, no matter what the consequences are. You know, that begins here, conversations like this one. So there's Moses' first sermon. He's like, I got my closing words to this next generation. Remember the previous generation all died. They're all gone, just Joshua and Caleb left, and he's going to pass the baton to Joshua. Before he does, he says, I want to have a conversation about Shema. I want to have a conversation about parenting. And now today, turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 30. We're going to look at the third of his three sermons, his final words in his final days of his final years, and he's going to center it around the spirituality of choice, the spirituality of of choice. So the Huffington Post in England, they did a study a few years ago. They took 2,000 adults, and I don't know how they tracked this, but they tracked 2,000 adults through the course of their life, and they determined that the average adult makes 750,000 choices in their lifetime. 750,000 choices. And out of that 750,000 choices, we regret one 143,000 of the 750,000 choices. If you do the math, that's about 20%. And some of you are like, you burned all that up by the time you turned 18. So I, I don't know. How do, you, how do they determine that? But it's a good framework or a discussion around the reality of being a human is um, we've, got this, we've got this freedom that God calls choice and sometimes it goes well, and sometimes it doesn't go so well. And so Moses recognizes, now remember, he just came through 40 years. Which way of that equation has Moses seemed to have seen a lot of? Has he seen the 750K or the 143K? He's lived a little more of the 143K, which is why 40 years in the desert. No, he had little slivers where they were getting it right. For the most part, though, they were kind of hard-headed and hard-hearted and wanted to keep going back and wanted to rebel and wanted to do their own thing. They, they got the golden calf thing, and they've got the return to Egypt thing. They've got the rebelling against the leadership thing. So he's got 143,000 reasons to say, I got to have a conversation about the spirituality of choice for the final words of his final sermon in his final days. And here's what he says. Verse 15, Deuteronomy 30. See, I set before you today. Now, who's the you? That's the new generation, this young generation that's about to enter the promised land. He sets before him today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. So Moses says, do you see the fork in the road? One road is labeled. There's a roadside on one fork that says life and prosperity. And what is some of the mile markers on that road? I just write pretty straightforward in the text there. On that road, it's loving the Lord, walking in His ways, keeping His commands, and you'll flourish in your new home. Life and prosperity. That's that fork in the road. And now, 
We're going to look at the other fork in the road. He labels what? Death and destruction. And notice Moses, remember the word Deuteronomy means second time. It means second law. It's like, I'm telling you again and again and again. Because on the life and prosperity, the new generation probably say, Moses, you're like a one-note Johnny with this. We keep hearing that. Like loving God equals obeying God. He just keeps beating that drum. Because he knows generally as humans, we need to be reminded quite a bit. At least I do. I need to be, I, I just forget. And so he's like, hey, life and prosperity, love God, walk in his ways, you'll flourish in the land. Other road, death and destruction. Here's how he describes it, 17 and 18. But if your hearts turn away and you are not obedient, and if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods, notice little g. That's the polytheistic area they came from in Egypt. That's the polytheistic territory they're moving to in the land of Canaan and worship them. Verse 18, I declare you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. <laughs> you will not live long in the land. You are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. So, mile markers on this fork in the road would be heart turning away from the Lord, disobedient to God's ways, bowing down to other gods, and you won't be able to stay in the promised land that you've been longing to inherit all these times. So, Moses, there's a fork in the road, two clear options. Do you see it? Life and prosperity, death and destruction. Now hear this, just because you're free to choose which fork you take doesn't mean your choice will lead to freedom. That went right over somebody's head. I'm going to say this again, right? So just because we've got the freedom to choose, which this is the nature, right? We'll get into this a little bit more in a minute. But most like, hey, you've got the freedom to choose. See the fork in the road? Life and prosperity, death and, death and destruction, just because you've been given that freedom to choose doesn't mean your choices always bring about freedom. So therefore, Moses, he gets a little, some of you might say, pushy. Others of you might say, preachy. Others of you might say, meddling. Stop telling me what to do, all this. Moses like, you know what? I'm 120. I've been around the block. I've seen a lot. I'm going to cut to the chase. 19. This day, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you. If you were in the crowd that day, you better sit up in your seat. That's Moses' way of saying, look, I'm going to call heaven and earth as witnesses. I'm going to bring it all home with this point. If you don't remember anything else Moses says to this generation, here's what he wants them to know. I set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Underline these next three words. Now choose life. You see that? Now choose life so that you and your children may live, that you may love the Lord your God, listen to His voice, and hold fast to Him. And then underline this, for the Lord is your life. You see that? So sometimes good spiritual leadership involves like helping people kind of look at the truth, look at the text, look at the circumstances, and help them kind of arrive at some conclusions on their own. That's good spiritual leadership at times. And then other times, good spiritual leadership is you simply say, don't do that, do this. It's being very directive. Now choose life. That's what Moses is doing here. Hey, I don't have a, most, we're not going to have a discussion about this. We're not going to have a committee meeting about it. We're not going to get together and, de and debate both sides of the equation. He just says, in light of the fork in the road ahead of you, let me say to you, I call witnesses of heaven and earth against you. Choose life. Go this way. Don't go that way. 
Now, as a pastor, I get the privilege of having a fair amount of Deuteronomy 30 phone conversations. So here's how the phone conversations usually go. Most often, it's a man on the other end of the call, and they're calling. It's in the language of Deuteronomy 30. It's, they're just, just debating a fork in the road. And so thankful that they picked up the phone and called me and wanted to involve me in the discussion. And the more they talk about the fork in the road that's before them with me on the phone, the clearer it becomes to them which label of the road is before them. There's one way that seems to be life and prosperity, that God's way, and the other way seems to be darkness and destruction, but man, it's looking really appealing on the surface, and they're talking it out. And somewhere in the phone call, inevitably comes this line. The guy on the other end will say, Pastor, Pastor, I know, I know, I know, I know. He'll say, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know what you're going to say to me. So really? I know what you're going to say to me. So really? Tell, tell me, what is it that I'm going to say to you? You're going to say, don't do that. Go God's way. Yeah. <laughs> I went to all those years of seminary for that. Like, <laughs> I usually say I'm kind of paid to say that, you know? But isn't there something about the human condition that In your heart of hearts, if you've been walking with God at all, if you have any exposure to vision of the kingdom of God and the scriptures, in your heart of hearts, you deep down, you see the fork in the road. And it's the more you talk it out with a trusted friend, a pastor, whomever, one road's label is pretty clear. This is God's way. This is what the Lord would want. This seems wisdom. The other road, ugh. It looks dark, pretty sure it'll be destructive, but man, there's something inside of me that's put my flesh, the Bible calls it your flesh, is pulled that way. Like, it's really appealing. The guy sometimes on the other phone will say, Pastor, you don't understand, like, the option is really good. And I'll usually say something like this, hopefully in love, I say, brother, don't send that text, don't set up that dinner. Don't arrange that meeting for the business trip. Don't do it. But, 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 I know, I hear, I'm a man, I understand what you're saying, but what's set before you is life and death and choose you this day which you will go. And just because we begin the freedom to make that choice doesn't mean the choices we make lead to freedom. And you get a window here into how much God values this in the human experience. Like, you know, sometimes as we're living in the world we're living in today, you can't not take a step back once in a while and go, God, are you sure... Maybe that's just a pastor thing. I, like, looking at the world and kind of the way everything's going, just in my lifetime, you go, you just go, Lord, are you sure? Like, this is the best of all possible worlds and all the ingredients you could set up? Because God says this is the best of all worlds that we could have set up and live in. 
And it's the best because it's related to this core element of the Imago Dei. The Imago Dei is Latin phrase for the image of God. God says this in Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve, he creates them, and then he gives them in the Imago Dei the freedom to choose to love him, obey him, and honor him or not. And how was the setup in the garden? What was that freedom around? One tree. Remember? No Genesis 3 yet. We haven't hit sin yet. Stay with me. It's Genesis 1 and 2. It's, they're with God and with one another. It's perfect. It can't get any better than this. And then God says, you're free to eat from a forest of trees, but there's one tree. I'm going to put a fence around it. There's one tree with a fence around it. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree, but you're free to eat from any of the other trees. Now, in your mind, you ought to be saying, why'd God put that tree there in the first place? Anybody else thought that? It keeps pastors really busy. I'm kind of, I guess that's kind of why I'm employed. <laughs> but beyond that, you go, think about it now. Engage your mind here on this point. The tree had to have a fence around it because for true freedom to exist, the alternative has to be available. Are you with me? I'm going to say that again. In order for there to be true freedom of choice in the Imago Dei, this is how much God values our freely choosing to love Him, freely choosing to honor Him. In order for that to really be a part of the fabric of this world that He's made, the best of all possible worlds, He's going to say, here's a forest of trees you can eat from. There's one in the center. Put a fence around it. Don't touch that one. And then He says, gives the command to Adam and Eve, gives him a clear instruction. He says, it's straightforward. This is what you're to do. Do you see the very ingredients of the original creation of this world that we're in, the alternative to obedience must exist for there to be true freedom. To say it another way, if the fork in the road only had one road, is it a fork? It's not a fork. You've only got one road. He set before them a fork in the road and then gave them the ability to choose. Do you see that? And aren't you grateful God's that way? You really are in your heart of hearts. You're super grateful because you know at the core of love is this embodiment, the freedom to make that choice yourself. It's a Mago Day stuff. Do you remember when you were a kid and you first grasped like you had freedom? Do you remember that? Like, there's no freedom in your preschooler years. Like, preschoolers, right? Preschoolers got no freedom, which is why mom and dad are so exhausted at the end of the day, because they're making decisions about everything in the preschoolers world. Now, they may think they have freedom, but they really don't, right? Right, mom, dad, come on now, right? You're, your preschool, no freedom. You do every, you, they, you're responsible everything about their life. Now, some of you grew up with, did anybody grow up with like a don't dad or a don't mom, don't parents? You know, just don't, don't do that, don't go there, don't say that, don't, 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 don't. Now, here's how I know you all had don't parents. You're all still alive. <laughs> like my mom, who's probably listening today, the only explanation for my brother and I making it to the age of 16 is she, <laughs> she had to, don't. <laughs> Don't. But, but I wrote this in my notes as I, as I was reflecting. I want to I say this to you this way. Like, parents, we, we don't give out the don'ts because we love the don'ts. Hear this now. 
We give out the don'ts because we didn't want one of the don'ts to steal your dues. We didn't want you to make a decision at such formative places in your life that would just kind of steal away the vision God has for you to stepping into the future that he wants for you. So sometimes we have to put a, a don't out there. Now, understandably so, like, right, your do's and don'ts of the preschool era should give way to a little, right, as the kids age, your, the way you're parenting them continues to grow and mature. It moves into adolescence, more choices, moves into young adulthood, which are more like life-defining moments, and you see that along the way. And here's a, here's a, a marker for maturity, right, parents with our kids, a marker for maturity is How are we raising up our children to handle the freedom of this spirituality called choice? It's a big deal. And it takes a lot of, we need a lot of help from each other. And I know I need a lot of help. And many of you have been very helpful. Called several of you at times. What do we do with this? And how do we navigate this? And because you want to see your kids grow up and steward this amazing world, though as broken and messed up as it is, Do you see how it explains why the headlines scroll with what they scroll? It's because God values the spirituality of choice, the freedom to engage your will and choose life and prosperity or death and destruction. He put a fork in the road. That's why the world looks like what it looks like today. Because in order for there to be true freedom, the alternative has to exist. And when that alternative exists, that means humans engaging in a fallen and sinful world are going to choose a fork in the road that doesn't always lead to freedom. And so the phone headlines scroll with what the phone headlines scroll with. And it's such a picture, I think, of true love and what God desires for his people. So let me bring this to a close today by simply asking us a couple of questions. How, how would you rate your choice muscles these days? How, how would you say like the general pattern is like, are you really encouraged? You know, if, if the 143 to 750 is any, like one out of five, are you like four pretty good to sit and one, uh, Are you really discouraged, encouraged? You know, I just want to say, no matter where you're at on the choice front, where this morning finds you, here's the reality of what Moses' sermon, here's here's what it reminds us of. No matter what you've been caught up in, no matter how long you've been caught up in it, no matter what that choice cycle's looking like right now, do you realize this? You're one choice away from turning it around. One. One, the fork in the road. And maybe it's this morning. Maybe God brought someone here this morning or someone listening online to simply hear this. You're staring at a fork in the road. And God stands before you today through Deuteronomy 30 and says, life and prosperity, death and destruction. Now choose life. Choose it. And how does he end? He says, the Lord is your life. Isn't that a beautiful vision? Do you realize, church, every time we take a step towards the Lord, we take a step towards true life. You know that, right? You take a step towards Jesus. That's true life. That's why he said in John 10, I've come to give life and give it to the full. It's like when you take a step towards God, when you take a step towards Jesus, when you take a step towards the Lord, you are taking a step towards true life. 
the way he intended, which means the alternative, the other way. Worship team, why don't you come back up? Here's how we're going to wrap up. I want to I close uh, by leading us in a little time of prayer centered around this reality of, of the gospel. Do you get a good vision of the gospel here with this? See, God knew, Moses knew, and Jesus knew this. Out of our 750,000 choices we're going to make in our life, here's what they knew. <laughs> 143,000 plus, not so great. So God sent Jesus. Here's a, here's a picture of Jesus. Jesus in the same world, staring at the same fork in the road. Guess what Jesus did 750,000 times in a row? Guess what he did? Chose life. Chose God's way. Every time. So that, hear me now, so that when he gave up his life on that cross, he could turn to his father and say, Father, you give me their pile of 143K sin, give it to me. And then you give them my 750K righteousness. Give that to them. Church, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's grace. We didn't deserve it. We're not always going to get it right. We're going to mess up. We're going to fall on our face. We're going to fumble over ourselves. We're going to mess up the choice muscles, this freedom that God values so much. Jesus said, I know. Moses said, I know. So we'll set up the system this way. Jesus will come. He'll live 750K for 750K. Choose life. And he'll give up his life. And he'll say, Father, I'll take their 143,000 plus pile of sin. Put it on my account. You give them my 750K righteousness. Put it on their account and we'll get this settled up and that's called the gospel. It's the gospel. It's grace. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve it and God did it anyway. And he does all that and then he sets before you this reality. Life and prosperity, death and destruction. You want to do it God's way, you want to do it your way. Unbelievable humility of God to say to the human race, you pick, you choose. I'll provide a way, I'll pave the way, I'll paint the picture, I'll give you thousands of years of stories and examples and then your own life experience add on to it and say, what does wisdom seem to say here? And then I'll leave it up to you. You decide. So today, what's your choice? You have the freedom to say, now I choose life. I choose the Lord. I'm going His way. Let's pray. Father, I have to believe that uh, someone here this morning listening to these words in a maybe a really tough place, maybe been debating some really important decisions and, and maybe it's become clearer than ever, light from darkness, uh, your way from their way. Life and death, 
Um, I just pray by the power of your spirit, you'd move on our hearts and engage our wills and give us a vision for what it means to, to do what Moses has set before here. Just, I want to choose life today and I want to choose life tomorrow. I want to choose it again on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And then thank you for your abundance, abundant grace that we fall on our face, we mess it up, we go down the wrong fork. Thank you. It doesn't matter. Lord, thank you in your eyes. It doesn't matter how long you've been going down the wrong road and what you've been caught up in. Your one decision right here. You just say, Jesus, I choose you. Turn me around. Get me on the right road. Forgive me. Fill me with your spirit. Lead me. I choose you. I choose life. And then as a bunch of parents here and grandparents, would you give us the grace to raise up a generation of children and grandchildren? Raise up who will lead and rule in righteousness, who will go your way. Strengthen us, give us wisdom, help us when we make mistakes, fill in the gaps when we've got a bunch of gaps. I pray as a church community, one of the legacies we'd leave would be the generation that comes behind us who keeps choosing life, who keeps exercising the freedom of choice to create true freedom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.